All right, well, good morning. All right, well, I hope you got your listening ears on today. Um, I wasn't feeling very good and the uh, last couple of days, and I was in bed most of the day Friday and most of the day yesterday, and and I uh, woke up yesterday afternoon, and I was just like, Lord, I know you put a word on my heart, so you're going to have to make me feel better. Um, I think that this presentation is uh, Pastor Paul's. Is that what yours looks like? So uh, mine is the other one that I emailed you, the one that's from my email. All right, so uh, did you guys download that this morning? All right, I got a thumbs up. All right, because I was like going to say uh, I could try, but uh, with no notes, this may be hard. Guys, we've been going through a series called Tough Questions, and um, there's multiple times throughout the, the Gospels that I've been watching these disciples asking some very tough questions, and today we actually see Jesus asking a very tough question. And so today's um, question is, do you believe this? And we're going to talk about the operation of faith. And, and guys, if there was ever, um, not ever, but this is a very important sermon, I hope that you understand that, or I, I would have stayed home today, <laughs> that this is something that I know that I was supposed to give today. And so I know that that means that somebody in here today is needing the word that God has given me. So there's a word for someone here today, and it's about your faith. Last week, we talked about this question where the disciples, um, Jesus asked, he was in the boat with the disciples, and then Jesus stood up and he calmed the storm. And the disciples, um, they were so amazed at this, they were like, who is this? Who is this? No, that's, uh, that's last week's. The one that I sent uh, yesterday evening, or yeah, I think it was yesterday evening. Um, so he said, uh, he did say that though, that was the passage from last week, so that's easy enough. Do you, who is this? And the disciples were struggling with, who is this? Who is this? Who is this, this, this man that the wind and the waves obey him? And I want you to understand that, that we will continue to see the same struggle with faith. And I want you to hear me. You can only operate in the spiritual realm within the measure of faith that you have. I'm going to repeat this statement over and over and over today. You can only operate in the spiritual realm within the measure of faith you have. You cannot operate beyond the measure of faith that you have. You cannot do that. So you will operate within the measure that you have. There's no greater faith, there's no greater factor in faith when it comes to understanding who God is. The more you understand who God is, the greater your faith will grow. And without faith, you will never understand or fully comprehend God or even the concept of God. Our greatest limiting factor in faith is our lack of understanding who God is. We live in a world right now that is so focused on you trying to figure out who you are. Hear me. We need to figure out who God is. Then you'll know who you are. We have gotten this so backwards. Man, if you could just figure out who you are. No, if you could figure out who God is. So that's what this is. This whole series this month is about us figuring out who God is. The disciples had figured out that he can heal people, but they didn't know that he had the power to command waves. Today, they think, well, hey, he could command the waves and he can heal people, but can he raise them from the dead? We're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus today. John chapter 11. So let's get started. In John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, good. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, to a town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. So I want to set the stage here real quick. This is the same Mary in Luke chapter 7 who was known as a, as a very sinful woman. She came in while Jesus was, was reclining at a table eating dinner. She came into the house and she's weeping because of the conviction of the sin that she had in her life. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. Now, I want you to understand 
that guys, you know, that may not be weird to you. You know, we're all, most of our, I'm looking around and most everyone here is wearing boots or shoes and your feet are covered. So if I were to take your boots off and your socks off, most likely your feet wouldn't be nasty and gross. Now, some of you, you just have nasty feet, but for the, for the rest of everybody, I mean, it would just be hey, that's a foot. But I'm wanting you to understand they didn't have socks and they didn't have covered shoes. They had sandals. They walked on dirt roads all day long. And you know what? Guess what else walked on dirt roads? Camels. So there's some camel poo. What else walked out there? Mules. So there's some mule poo and some ox poo and some sheep poo. There's a lot of poo, you know, because there's a lot of exhaust off of their vehicles back then. And that exhaust was the kind that you stepped in, all right? I almost did my Chinese proverb joke, but I will not. I will refrain. So close. So here is this Mary, and she comes in, and, 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 and she is wetting his dirty feet with her tears and takes her hair and dries his feet. Here's what's so amazing. The, Fa- the Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, if you knew the woman that was touching you, if you knew who it is that's touching you. See, they were questioning Jesus' deity already. Well, if you, you, I guess you clearly you don't know who that is. right? You clearly don't know who's touching you because if you did, you wouldn't let this person touch you. Do you know why people don't go to church? Do you know that, that right here is, is an example of why a lot of people don't want to go to church? Because the churches are filled with those Pharisee type of people. If you knew who that was. Now listen how Jesus answered this. And I, oh man, I'll tell you what. Jesus. Whew. Jesus said, therefore I tell you. <laughs> let me tell you something about the, her many sins. He even says her many sins. He's not hiding anything. Yeah, her many sins are forgiven. As her great love is shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I think a lot of time, a lot of times, I think so many people have spent so much time in church they forgot who Jesus is. Huh? I think there's a lot of churches that have forgotten who Jesus is. Come on, where you at, church? Maybe some of you have spent some time in some of those churches that no longer understand the the mission. Man, Jesus, I mean, he could have just said, he had every right. He's the only perfect one. He had every right to say, you know what, you're right. Lady, get out of here. But he didn't. This is the same Mary who is sitting at the feet of Jesus later on, a couple of chapters later later in in the book of Luke chapter 10. She's the same one that's sitting at his feet, hanging on every word he said and while Martha's getting dinner ready and says Jesus could you tell her to get to work and he says Martha Martha you are concerned about many things I am not going to correct your little sister for doing the right thing you see these aren't just random people these are people I mean after this woman wept and wiped his feet he then just a couple of chapters later in the Bible is now eating in their home. Come on now. Come on, right? Right? It's not like, well, I got to make sure that you get straightened up enough to where the community accepts you so that I can go and hang out with you. No, Jesus is there. And she's hanging on every word that Jesus is saying. This is a a friendship that's developed. And now I'm going to continue in our story in verse 4. It says, when Jesus heard, the sickness, he said, is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God, right? It's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I'm going to say that again. He's he's saying like, hey, he's telling his disciples, so he found out that his, his friend Lazarus is sick. And he tells his disciples, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard this, that he was sick, he stayed two more days. He's doing this on, but listen, he's doing this. So he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. I want to stop for just a moment in this story. And I want to talk about this word glory. We sung about it. Isn't it amazing how you don't know what I'm preaching and I don't know what you're singing and they just work out. That's when you know your, your worship minister has been spending some time with the Lord, the pastor's been spending the time, and they just work together. Here, let me tell you something about glory, though, today. The, the word glory in Greek is doxa, and it means splendor or honor and glory, but it's not just that. It's our doing something for the honor. So when we talk about bringing glory or glory, it is not just, hey, it's God's splendor, his majesty, his honor. It's also doing it for his honor, his splendor, his majesty. Now listen to this. The word glory throughout the Bible, you see two major areas where it's used. One, it's used as an attribute of God. It's the recognition of God's splendor and honor and majesty. So when we think about glory, it's used to describe an attribute of who God is. God is glorious. That's the God we're here worshiping. Secondly, it's used to describe his presence. This word throughout the Bible is a, uh, an adjective used as a descriptive word of just being in the presence of God. Being in the presence of God is glorious. It's doxa. Now, when this word is used, as Jesus said, to the, that the Son of God may be glorified through it, the word glorified in this situation is passive in voice. This is in Greek, passive. And it means that something or someone is doing the action of glory unto Jesus. In other words, the healing that will take place, so they're not even fully understanding this yet because he's talking about something that's going to happen, but the healing or the resurrection that will take place is going to bring glory unto Jesus. And when glory is brought unto Jesus, it's brought Glory then goes to the Father. So when Jesus does something and it brings glory to him, he just takes that glory and then just takes it and points right back up. Somebody ever says, hey, wow, you did something amazing. Oh, wow, that was a great sermon. Glory to God. Yeah. Right? Praise God. That's usually what I say. Praise God. Praise God. So listen to this. To God alone belongs the glory. I hope you all hear me. To God alone belongs the glory, all of the credit, all of the attention, and all of the applause. Everything belongs to God. I think you guys could do better than that, right? Come on now. Come on. I want you to think about everything that God has ever done in your life, right? Everything. So you think, think about the changes that he's brought, how he brought you out of the depths of despair. He gave you hope when you were hopeless. He gave you salvation. He redeemed you. He forgave you. So to him goes all the applause, all of the glory, all of the praise to God alone. Much better, much better. There we go. All right. So hear me. God does not exist. God does not exist for your happiness. A lot of times we get that mixed up. Man exists. We exist for the holiness and glory of God. I exist for his glory. I exist for his glory. Living for God's glory is the greatest achievement we'll ever accomplish. Isn't that amazing? When, 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 we, when we start changing our lives and how we think. So this is an area, when I start thinking about the glory of God and where man fits in, this is an area of major concern for me when I start looking at the American church. Because there is a lot of times that a, a, a pastor or a minister, they, become, they begin to think that it was by their strength, knowledge, or leadership that that ministry is growing. The moment that happens, it's self-seeking glory. 
Not even, and I can't tell you how many times ministers don't even, it's not like they set out and said, man, I can't wait to be glorified. Because it's, any time that we're glorified, we just have to take that glory just like Jesus did and give it right back. Okay, praise be to God then. Because here's the deal, people are going to come up to you and say, wow, you're doing great. Praise God, glory to him. Because that's what Jesus did when he was, when he received glory, he just gave it to the one that was, that was glorious. But sometimes what happens is that we begin like, man, I remember, I remember as a young minister, there was a church, I was filling out a, a resume to go be the pastor. And I was writing this out, and I'm like, well, here's what, here's what I, I almost, it, there was such an, an arrogance, oh, I hate even mentioning it. Here's what I can tell you is going to happen, your church is going to grow. I put it in there. Like, I know how God uses me, and this is what's going to happen. And there was so much pride and self-seeking glory. I didn't, rem- I didn't know what it was all about. God had to take me through a lot of humbling circumstances to remind me, this is not your kingdom. The Lord had to remind me, Daniel, I don't need you. I can get any monkey to preach. I don't need you. A lot of churches, a lot of pastors, a lot of ministries, you begin to pour your heart out into something, right, Cheyenne? You pour your heart, you give everything that you have to it. You give everything that you have to a ministry. And you're giving your time, your energy, the, the, the talents that God's given you, and it is not hard to start thinking that you're doing it. And it doesn't take long for that to be taken away either. So I want you to hear me when I say this. Once we determine in our souls that God's glory is the goal, we stop taking the path of least resistance And start taking the path of the most glory to God. Come on now, right? That's some good stuff, right? I was thinking, that stuff will preach. Even when you're sick, that stuff will preach. Because here's the thing is, if I can come to a place in my life and I'm like, okay, God, it's all about your glory, then I stop worrying about what path I'm on. I stop worrying about if it's hard or not. I stop worrying about if people like me or not. I stop worrying about if I'm pleasing everybody. And I'm just saying, God, I want to bring a little bit more glory to you. God, I want to bring a little bit more glory to you. I don't care what the path looks like. R.C. Sproul said, we do not segment our lives giving some time to God, some time to our business, some time to our schooling, some while keeping some time to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the glory of God. That is what the Christian life is about. I want, to, I want you to think about this. When you're at school, students, You are under the authority of God and for the glory of God. What if that's how you attended school? When you play a sport and you're involved in a sport, what if you're in the sport saying, you know what, I'm under the authority of God for the glory of God. How can I bring glory to God while I'm playing basketball or wrestling or running? How can I bring God glory when I'm in a classroom? How can I bring God glory when my parents are giving me instructions? How can I give glory to God when I'm at work? Because everything you do is under the authority of God and for the glory of God. That's why we're here. Man, I love that. When you can come to a place where you determine in, your, in the depth of your soul, right? That's God's glory is the goal. It'll change everything. I promise you it'll change everything because it'll stop being about you. It'll stop being about what you think. It'll be like, God, how can I bring glory to you? How can I bring more glory to you? And you know, there's going to be so many times in your life that you're going to do the opposite of what you want to because 
you're going to bring glory to God now. It's, that's the goal. The goal is to bring glory to God. The goal is to bring glory to God. The goal is to bring glory to God. God, if you need me to suffer a little bit, glory to you. If you need my road to be hard, glory to you. If I'm going to have to go through some times of suffering, glory to you. Glory to you. I think we want to give God glory when it's easy. And we don't have to suffer. But when glory is the goal, you're not worried about the path anymore. You're just worried about the glory. In John chapter 11, again, let's continue with our story. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews have sought to stone you. And, are, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he walks. He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not on him. These things he said, and after that he said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go there to wake him up. In verse 12, it goes on to say, Then his disciples said, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking of taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus had to speak to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go. I want you to hear this. I mean, you, you did, because a couple of you chuckled at that, right? You're like, whoo. Jesus loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves Lazarus. And he knows that Lazarus has now died, and now Jesus knows how badly Mary and Martha are grieving. He knows that they're absolutely crushed and broken right now. And yet, when he's talking to the disciples, because they're still struggling, here, listen, they can only operate within the measure of faith they have. And the measure that they have is that he can heal and he can talk to the wind and the waves. They didn't know he had control over death yet. So he says, I'm glad for your sakes that you may believe. There are some things that are going to happen in your life, and it's for your good. And it's not that it feels good, but it's so that you'll believe. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you may believe. He's not glad for Mary. He's not glad for Martha. He's sitting here saying, man, it's for you guys that I didn't go because I need you guys. You guys are here in your faith. See, it's not that they had no faith. And I said, sometimes the disciples get a really bad rap all the time that they had no faith. Guys, they had more faith than anyone else that was around them. Don't forget that they left and sacrificed their families, left them behind. They quit their jobs. Many of us would never quit our job to go serve God full time for nothing. Not very many people would leave everything that they had and have nothing because they, were, they didn't have a home to go back to. They left everything. They're sleeping. He says, hey, you want to follow me? Come see what this looks like. I have no place to lay. A fox has a den. I don't have a place to lay my head. See, they had a lot of faith. But they could only operate within the measure that they had. And this is where their measure was. And Jesus says, man, I, I see that you're here, but I need you here. You're here, but I need you here. So there's going to have to be something that's going to have to happen that you're going to have to see and come to a point of believing if I'm going to get you to come from here to here. How many of us are here and God's like, I'm going to have to bring something into your life to bring you up here? Hmm? Hmm? Right? You guys following me? This is for somebody here. I hope you're listening. See, the, the disciples, man, they keep taking it on the chin about their faith, right? <laughs> who really is this? They're struggling. But don't we struggle with the same thing as who is this? Right? I mean, we read all the stories, but then we're looking for it in our lives today. They believed in part, like many of us. We believe in what we understand. We believe in what we can comprehend. We believe what we can take in. But we're very limited on understanding the fullness of who Jesus is. And I can only operate in what I fully understand about who he is. So a lot of us are operating on a level of faith here when God really wants us to be operating on a level of faith here so that he can take us to another place of operating in a faith from up here. 
verse 11, or I mean verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his disciples, well, let us go that we may die. Thank you for the positive encouragement, Thomas. You're such a buzzkill, buddy. So when Jesus came, he found that they had already been in the tomb four days. Everybody say four days. Just making sure you're listening. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had, Jews had come and joined the women and, and around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. All right, verse 20. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. He's walking to meet them. Mary and Martha are grieving Martha hears that Jesus is on the way. She runs out on the road to meet him. She doesn't wait for him. And here's the thing is, how many times is our faith like this? If you'd been here, come on, right? That's kind of our mentality is the same mentality that, that Martha and Mary both had. If you had been here, he would not have died. even in all of their belief of who Jesus is, still struggled with the capacity of what he was capable of doing. So I want to define what faith is before I go down to the next passages. So here's, here's what, is, what is faith, okay? So in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. We know that in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here we go. Faith is the knowledge within the heart beyond the reach of proof. I can't prove it, but I know it. That's faith. Guys, I can't put it any different. I can't prove it, but I know it. And here's the thing. I can't prove it, but I know it. I, can, I, I know what God has done inside of me. And there's so many times I, I wish I could just rip my heart out and set it down and say, look what God, there's all the evidence right there. And see, guys, faith isn't, isn't this, I walked into this blind without evidence. I'm wanting you to understand there's all kinds of evidence around us. The greatest evidence that will ever happen is a person who's completely changed. Somebody who was doomed for hell, walking straight on a path to hell, who has completely changed their life around, and when they give credit to God, that is evidence. God did this. God changed my life. And if any of you are saved, you have a story of how God has changed your life. can't prove it, but I know it, right? I can't prove it, but I know it. Max Lucado says this, faith is not the belief that God will do what we want. It's the belief that God will do what is right. Pretty good, right? Now, faith grows by two factors. Factor number one out of Romans 12:3, it says this, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Factor number one, God gives each one of us a measure of faith. God has given you something to start with. So don't say that God never helped you. God has given every one of you a measure of faith. There's something inside of you that says this is real. There's something inside of you screaming out, to the most hardened-hearted atheist in the world, there's something inside of you screaming out, this is real, this is real, come on and take the next step. God has given every one of us a measure of faith. The, the, the second factor is what do you do with that measure? See, he's given you a measure of it. You have a measure of faith. Now the second growing factor is what are you going to do with that measure? Are you going to add to that measure or are you just going to let that measure sit there and do nothing? But you have it. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, uh, your faith grows exceedingly. He's, Paul's like, I'm so thankful to God because your faith grows. 2 Corinthians, he's writing a letter to them, and he's saying, man, I am so excited. I have hope that your fa- because your faith is growing. See, here's what I want you to know about Martha at this, in this point in the story. Martha's operating in the measure of faith that she has, and that's all any of us can do. And you hear me saying the same the same phrase over and over, operating in the measure of faith that you have. That's all that you can do. You can't use what you don't have, agreed? Just like somebody, like I remember when, when, when Barbara and I were, we were, we were so poor we couldn't afford the R. I, I remember a time when we were so poor that the church mice even moved out. I mean, you know, I mean, like there was, there was some, some poor times in our life. And I remember when I'd get these phone calls from, from bill collectors and they're like, we want, we, you know, hey, when are you going to give me my money? And I'm like, I can't give you what I don't have. I don't got it. I said, here's how I'm doing it. i got to make sure that I pay my house bill because my family has to have a roof. Then I'm paying my electricity, and then I'm paying this, and then I'm paying this. And they said, well, how do we get up there? Well, don't be a, 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 right now, my lowest part of this priority list is my rainbow vacuum cleaner. So you may just want to have to come and get that thing because that's not going to move above my house. But some of us are very poor in our stewardship and we'll pay our phone bill before we pay our house bill. That phone is not going to give you warmth. It's not going to give you food. It's not going to, and we sometimes get, so to me it's like, I got a priority list. And if you fall below the list, I can't give you what I don't have. In the same way, you can't operate in faith that you don't have. Right? So what are you doing with your faith? Right? Is, is, your faith, is your faith stuck? When's the last time that your faith has really grown? See, these disciples, they get such a bad rap because Jesus is like, where's your faith? Where's your faith? It's not that they didn't have it. He's like, dude, they got, we, got to, we get to look at their lives, and every step of the way, Jesus is teaching them about how to have more. I want to grow your faith. I want to grow your faith. And so then he had to put them in a boat and give them a storm, and he had to be sleeping. So they're like, hey, how can you sleep? We're going to die. Where's your faith? Well, now they say, okay, well, if we're ever in a storm, we know now that Jesus, so they, they know something. When's the last time you learned something new about God and held on to it? Come on. Sometimes we only do that on Sundays, and we wonder why our faith is growing so, so, so little baby steppy. Well, because have you ever thought about if you only eat once a week? you're going to be pretty malnourished. If you're only eating a Sunday sermon, you're spiritually malnourished and your faith will not grow very much. Martha believed that Jesus could have stopped it if he was there. Well, so did Mary. And the other Jews, I'm going to jump down to a further point in the story, and then I'm going to come back up. But in John 11, 32, it says that then when Mary came to Jesus, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you'd been here, I wonder where I heard that before, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and all the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. It's the shortest Bible Bible verse in the Bible. Then the Jews said, this is what the Jews said. So it's not just Mary, and it's not just Martha. Now the Jews said, see how he loved him? And then some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? (laughs) But see... Again, they were operating within the measure of faith they had. So you're going to hear me say this over and over and over until we get it, until we understand that I can only operate with what I have, so I need to figure out where am I at with you, Lord? Is my faith right here? Then how do I get it here, Lord? What's going to, and here's the reality. If you start reading the book of 1 Peter, all of a sudden it talks about how suffering comes into our life to prove that our faith is genuine. 
So maybe there's going to be some suffering and some storms that come into your life because every time we open up the Bible, the disciples were going through another storm. Now their faith is growing to another level. Now there's someone who's died, and now the faith is about to grow to another level. Your faith grows in the measure with what you believe about God. In the same way, what you believe. See, here's the thing I find so often. I love this question. Do you really believe what you say you believe is really real? Do you really believe what you say? Because here's the thing. I, I, the American faith is so, so, so often watered down. Oh, I believe in God and I believe this stuff, but they don't live like they believe. Don't live like they believe. In, in fact, let's, let's come back to the story. In verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, this is going back to the Martha part, and, and, and said, she goes, yes, I know that you're going to raise him up at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. Can you imagine being Martha in that moment? She's like, yeah, Lord, I know that he's going to raise at the last day. And Jesus was looking at her and he goes, I am the resurrection. Can you just be, can you picture that moment? Wouldn't that be the moment of all moments? You're looking at the Messiah in the eyes, and he is just looking you straight in the eyes, and he's like, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be the most amazing? By, like, I would just love to be in that moment of like, because your whole life is crushed. I know what they felt. I know what your life is to be crushed in the moment of death. And the grief. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And what he's saying is this. The moment that you take your last breath. You're not dying. You start living. And if we can't get this in our head, then we don't understand eternal life. (coughs) We don't understand eternal life if we can't get this, that when I take my last breath, I'm not dying. I'm just starting eternal life. I'm going from temporary to permanent. Because that's what it is. It's a transformation. It's the most amazing point. In fact, the moment of death, and the, the one thing I love about the, the doctrine of salvation, the, the, my favorite part of the doctrine of salvation is the last part. It's called glorification. It's when you die. Because you don't die, you just get transferred. You just graduated. If you believe. If you believe, right? He's saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this? Now listen to how she replies. I love this. She says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God who's come into the world, right? How many times have we said something about what we believe? Yes, Lord, I believe it. Yes, amen. Woohoo! right? So let me, let me, I'm going to go back to, he says, do you believe this? Let me show you in the Greek. The word in Greek for believe is pistio. It means to believe, yes, but it implies a trust. See, a lot of times we can say, well, I believe that, but we don't trust God. See, if you don't really trust God in all of these situations, then you don't actually believe. You can say you believe all day long, but if you are not trusting and your trust isn't placed in God, then you don't really believe. You hear me? When he says, do you believe, and, and, the, and the work that you are to do is to believe in the, in, in the one the Father has sent. Everything about salvation is believing in Jesus. But it's not just about knowing some facts about him. It's actually trusting him. It's a conviction based on testimony that something is true, someone is reliable. To biblically to believe in God requires an element of trust not mere acknowledgement of God's existence. So many people think they're saved because they acknowledge that God exists, but they don't trust Him in their life. What's really neat is that when we go a little bit further into this same thing, when He says, do you believe, it is present tense. It means that this is an ongoing. So when, when the Bible says to believe, right? I am to believe. Do you believe this? The word to believe in God, when I believe in Him, it's present tense. It means it's an ongoing conviction. 
It's habitual. It's continuous. Not just when things are good. Not just when things are easy. But to continuously and habitually trust in God, that's faith. That's what it is to believe in God. An active voice, I love this. God cannot believe for you. I love how the Greek can take us so much deeper into God's word. When he says, do you believe this? He's saying, I can't believe for you. You have to believe. Your mama, your daddy, they can't believe for you. I, want, I wish I could believe for my kids. I wish, there's so many times as a parent, I'm like, I just wish I could believe for you. I can't. You got to do that. That's just something you got to decide. No one can do this for you. You got to do it. You got to believe. <clears throat> Martha quickly answers him, yes, Lord. She doesn't completely understand the lesson that Jesus is giving her. And you're going to see this in just a minute. She says, yes, I believe you. Yes, you're the Lord. Yes, you're the Messiah. You're the one that's coming to the Lord. Now, is, is there a difference in believing God at his word and understanding what he's saying? There's a lot of people who say, yes, God, I believe everything that you say, but they don't understand it. Well, they haven't got there quite yet, have we? Now, watch this. Jesus said to her in the very next verse, then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Here's your moment, Martha. Here's your moment, Martha. Do you believe this, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives in me won't die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, I believe this, Martha. Hey, I want you to roll away the stone. Martha said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, I'm not saying this to to put Martha down. What I'm saying is, is that's what all of us do. Can we be honest about, don't we all do that? God, I believe. Yes, I believe until I'm put on the spot. God, I believe, but... You don't understand my circumstances, God. You don't know where I'm at right now, God. I don't think that you'd fully understand right now. I mean, don't we always do that? Like, God, you don't understand what I'm going. How does he not? He went through more pain than any of us have ever went through. He's experienced uh, heartache and and trials and tribulations. He was beaten and uh, cruelly crucified on a cross. You don't understand. Oh, he understands exactly what you're going through. Didn't I tell you, didn't I say that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Isn't that something, guys? Come on now, isn't that something? Isn't that something? If you believe, I'm wanting you to know, if you will believe, you'll see the glory of God. If you would believe, you'll see the glory of God. Last couple of verses. In verse 43. It says this, now when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Verse 45, then many of the Jews who'd come with Mary had seen these things Jesus did and believed in him. But some of them, I want you to hear the but some of them. If you saw somebody raised from the dead... Would there be any doubt in your mind? Right? Come on, think about this. They saw a dead man that's been dead for four days come walking out of a tomb. But here's the part. Some of them, many of them in fact, many of them believed in Jesus. When they saw, they believed in him, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had did. I want you to understand, this goes to show you that there are some in this world They could see Jesus, they could touch Jesus, they could see a miracle of Jesus and still refuse to believe. And there may be even hard hearts, so hard, even in this congregation, in this body, that says, God, if you even showed up in the flesh, I wouldn't believe. Sometimes we can harden our hearts so much that we refuse to see the glory of God all around us. We're so stubborn and closed 
that we don't want to see what God's doing in, in and around us. So my question that I'm going to end you this morning is, is what will you do with the measure of faith you have? Because every one of you has a measure of faith. I believe that those who have not even fully come to surrender your place to the Lord yet have a measure of faith. There's something inside of you that's screaming for you to believe. That's yelling and doing everything that it can to get you to come to a point of fully believing. But here's the thing, is for that to grow, it's going to require action on your part. We so many times in our life, we allow our spiritual faith to be hindered by our humanistic views. We see the world and the ways of this world as our culture demands of us. And we allow that to control our faith. Everyone in this story was operating in the faith that they had, the measure that they had. He could have stopped it if he was here, but no one believed that he was able to raise Lazarus from the dead. Not even Martha, who believed he was the Messiah. So I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes and I just want you to ask yourself a few questions today. I want you to ask yourself, what do you believe about God? What do you really believe? Not what you say you believe. What do you believe? Do you trust Him when your entire world is upside down? I mean, do you really trust Him? Or do you kind of trust Him? And you're really kind of looking for your own way out of it. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that when you die, that's just the beginning of eternal life? That's just the beginning? Do you really believe it? I want you to think about this question. Because Jesus asks, I think this is the most forthright and honest question that anybody could ever be asked do you believe I am the resurrection and I am the life? He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because this is like the heartbeat of all that salvation is. If there's nothing after this, then why waste your time here? I mean, seriously. If this is it, and you're just hoping to get a little bit of hope for now, then this isn't real. But if what Jesus is saying right now is truth, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life, then I hope that you hear me. Do you believe that? Because if you do, it would absolutely change everything. If a gun was pointed to your head, they said, I'm going to kill you if you say that you believe in God. Many years ago, the combine shooting in Colorado, the little the girl that we hear this amazing testimony from, they said, if you don't renounce your faith, we're going to kill you. They killed this girl because she said she believed in God. Do you know why she died? Because she really believed what she said she believed. That's what I'm wanting to ask you. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Would you die for it? Would you die for your faith? Or is it just something that you want to feel better at at night? 
Is your faith real? Is it something that changes what you watch? Does it change what you listen to? Does it change how you spend your day? Does it change how you talk to people? Has the faith that you say you have changed you? Have you been transformed by this? Or is it just something that's kind of a piece of your life? God has more for you than a casual faith. He has more for you than just a a random thing of trying to make you feel better for the day. This faith is real. It's life transforming. When you say you believe in God, do you really believe in God? Would you die for it? Would you suffer for it? And let me ask you this, would you live for it? Romans 12 says, I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Are you willing to live for God and die to yourself? Is that the kind of faith that you have? Or is it just a casual faith that you show off on a Sunday morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, Is there anyone here today that needs to place their faith into Jesus? If anyone here says, I have not put my faith in Him and I have not been sure what I believe, but I believe today. I believe here and I believe now. And I'm willing to state it. Would you raise your hand? Praise God. Praise God. faith is that starting point and allow God to take you every step of the way deeper into what you believe about him because the deeper you go into him and knowing him is the more your life will change it'll begin to make you confront sin in your life that you're still holding on to your faith will will, 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 will begin to convict you and say you're going to make some changes that you don't want to make but you're going to do this for the glory of God because it's no longer about you. It's about what you believe about God. It's about who He is, not who you are. It's about who He is and who is He to you. He's my everything. He's my everything. The altar is open. Maybe you need to come and put some things down that's been getting in your way. Maybe there's some doubts that you've been wrestling with. Maybe your heart has grown hard to the Lord because He didn't do what you wanted Him to do.